This is another episode of Flavor in Your Ear Podcast. A podcast about damn near any and every topic with no filter and zero regard for the easily offended. Everything you say upsets somebody. Please welcome the man behind the madness. The most important person with all due respect. Let's go! Your host and audio flavor maestro. My man. Marquise Edwards. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. We are back with another episode of Flavoring Your Ear podcast. And as we continue to surface and search the world for these outstanding guests, you all know I like to reach out to fellow podcasters and anyone who I find is intriguing or have some stories or conversations that I feel that the audience will enjoy. So today we have Mike Oppenheim, and he really is, I read his bio, right? He really is like a jack of all trades. I'll just tell him in in our green screen room. He has so many things that he can talk about, but I was, you know, he got tailored to, you know, the session this time. But it's, I think it's very interesting because I told him uh, also that I feel like he he does a lot of the things that I was interested in or that I am interested in um, in my lifetime. So I feel like it's going to be a really good conversation. So uh, without further ado, I'll allow him to give a brief, you know, introduction for himself before we, you know, chill and get into the conversation. So say what's up to everybody, Mike? Awesome. Thanks. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, we did a little mini chat in the green room and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Let's just keep talking. So um, <laughs> I'm here. I'm very excited to talk to you and anyone listening. And uh, yeah, let's get it started. Cool, cool. So you are a fellow podcaster uh, as well. And I see that you also, you also are an author. You publish uh, books and novels and whatnot. So that intrigued me the most because, you know, in the future, once I do get a little bit of skin in the game, I would also like to write. A book. So uh, let's let's go back to the experience when you first decided that you want to write a book, right? And how was that process? And you know, what were some of the fun things about it? What were some of the not so fun things about it? That's a good question. Um, so like my first experiences writing, I was really young and I didn't realize I was writing, but like as a kid, I would like write lots of stories in grade school and stuff. And then that was just kind of like dormant. I switched to music in my uh, teens and 20s. And then very abruptly in 2000, uh, four or five or six, I think it was 2006. Um, someone told me, Hey, I read this book and it reminded me of you. And so I like read the book and I read it. I remember like I sat down and read it in like one plane ride. It was one of those, you know, <laughs> cool experiences where the uh-huh. book just jumps up and it was Chuck Klosterman, sex, drugs, and cocoa puffs. And it was this guy older than me, but not much older, just kind of like talking about how life appears to him with lots of like pop culture references. And, you know, uh-huh. um, just like how, like, watching Saved by the Bell as a kid, like made him screwed up in the head and like stuff like that, you know, and, uh, I was just like, Oh man, this, this counts as writing. Like I didn't think this counts. And, uh, and so somewhere along that same time, I saw, um, an ad for a, a novel writing contest and it was called, uh, the three day novel writing contest. I'm sure they still do it. And it was weird. It was on the honor system, which I'm an honorable person, but I, I was pretty skeptical, but basically they say, you start a brand new novel and you have exactly three days to finish it. So you start it on a Friday at like four and it's Mm -hmm. due on Sunday or Monday at four. I can't remember. Um, And uh, so I I went into it and I I really did it. I remember I went to, I had a friend who had an art studio. She was a painter 
And I said, hey, can I use your studio all weekend? She said, yeah. So I got like a big bag of peanuts and like some pretzels and a couple <laughs> jugs of water. And I was just like, I'm going to camp out and write all day and leave at night, come back to my bed, sleep, and then go immediately back in the morning. And I did that. And I wrote a novel in three days. And uh, it's not the best thing ever, but I uh, took that. And then I applied to a graduate school program for writers and I got in and I worked on that. And that was my thesis. That was like how I graduated was I turned that novel into like more of a novel. And so that's actually the first novel you can buy mine on uh, my website or Amazon. Um, and it's called Dysfunction. And it's good. You know, I'm not I'm not going to lie and say it's like the best book ever. And it's going to change <laughs> your life. That would be my third novel, in my opinion. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you get better with time. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's how it all started. And the, and the funniest thing to me is just that like you're a writer the second you call yourself a writer. The second you write, you're a writer. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's cool. It's a weird, mysterious title, and I was so afraid to call myself a writer for years and years and years because I thought it sounded pretentious. I thought it sounded like just just so weird and vague. But now I'm happy. I'm happy to be a writer, and you're a writer. And I mean, there's so many writers, and it's it's. I don't know. You can get a lot from talking to people, but you get something weird when it's just you in that paper, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, I'm a thinker, right? So I guess like putting in you know, all the thoughts, there's nothing like expressing your thoughts and putting them on a piece of paper, you know, or typing them or capturing them. I think that's the beautiful thing with, you know, with writing and how everybody has a different, you know, process and, and mindset, creativity, you know? So that's the cool thing about writing that I applaud, you know, I love it. And, Sometimes even I feel like, you know, I might miss a thought if I don't write it down, you know, if I don't save yeah. it, you know, you know how, how it is because so many different things go through your head. So that's pretty cool that you stuck with it. First of all, you know, I think that's pretty, you know, that's you, you, you built up, you built on a, you know, on a, on a platform and you kind of build it on top of it and, and wrote more novels, which is outstanding. It's really, really cool. In three days, I don't know if I, I think that's so, I think that sounds like so stressful to me. <laughs> I don't know. This is how stressful to be just three days of anything, even with like schoolwork. I'm like, oh, three days. I'm like, come on now, you know, as an adult, yeah, your time is this, you know, like oh, everywhere, yeah, no. like everywhere. So that's, that's, that's honestly pretty cool. So you said you talked about your first book. So what, what do you consider your best book and what is it about? Well, um, yeah, that's a good question. I got, um, it's weird because I, I have three novels published right now and then or four rather. And then I have a fifth novel that's like in publication. So it's going to come out this summer. Um, unfortunately, with publishing, it's just like a long. I mean, I work in publishing. One of my jobs, I, I index books. So I like understand what's going on. It's mm-hmm. very frustrating. I've been waiting on an inked contract for like a long time. So I'm not going to say that the book I'm about to talk about is my best one because I'm actually hoping that this one that comes out. <laughs> that the next one is. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, so far, the most like monumental work I feel I've done is my third novel, which is called Too True to Be Good. And um, I'm actually, uh, there's a second edition coming out like really soon. So I don't know when this is going to air, but um, around May 1st, the second edition is going to come out. And that's because okay. the first one had some like really weird um, formatting error that the publisher like told me they could fix but it was going to delay the release and so at the time i just wanted to get it out so right. um so the couple things that are going to change but nothing significant anyway it's called too true to be good and it's the story of um a kid growing up and like talking about his like early 20s and then he uh decides that he'd rather be rich than uh be like a sucker and work a normal job so he starts um selling drugs and he's lying to everyone he works in a restaurant and he's selling it like through the restaurant and it just gets more and more dangerous and then Mm -hmm. it uh capitulates uh 
with it. I, I don't want to ruin the whole book, but it, it gets <laughs> yeah, worse uh-oh. and worse and worse. It's one of those books where you just like can't believe it's getting worse. And uh, mm-hmm. the reason mm-hmm. I know it's a really good novel is the number of people who uh, wrote me, strangers and friends, to say that it was one of the most depressing, demoralizing things they've ever read and they can't get it out of their head. But to me, that's very good because that's the whole point. And I don't want to get too right. much into it, but it's basically about um, the prison system in America and just what an awful, mm-hmm. awful, awful thing we've created. So I did... The worst research I've ever had to do for any novel for it, um, wow. and it gets into like everything we talk about now. I wrote it in 2016, but it's probably more poignant now because we've had so many like horrendous issues with like right. just what prison does to people. So yeah, and and, the, and one of the main points is that the guy doesn't think he's the kind of guy who has to go to prison. You know, like he just thinks mm-hmm. like, oh, it won't work out that way. And so that's kind of what I wanted to like really push was like this thing, like, hey, we all live in this culture. And we all agree that we're going to have prison and laws, but have you ever really thought <laughs> right. about like? Right. Yeah. That's, that's that's awesome. I, I like I love the way how you actually are bringing light to a very uncomfortable and serious conversation. Right? That's not always easy, you know, um, to to do that. Um, I have my own thoughts about you know prison reform and you know things like that as well. And it's good that you can. You know that you researched and did you know did all your homework that shows you how serious you're all about the topic. And I know a lot of this stuff you probably found out and probably like, oh god, like wow. And then you <laughs> yeah. kind of try to you know incorporate that into writing for someone to enjoy, not to get too heavy, not to get too deep. So that's actually pretty cool. Uh, the process and you know, uh, uh, word out to the listeners out there, you know, who may want to write us things like that. You know, uh, they take tips, listen to his, you know, his his process, and you know, you have to research and. I know a lot of people have conversations that they may not be comfortable speaking about that maybe they can't write about, right? So hopefully someone out listening can can you know hear and, and learn something. And that leads me to you say you also do writing workshops, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. So when I went to school, I became uh, um, I got a degree for teaching writing as well as like learning mm-hmm. the art of creative writing. So. I also have written a weekly essay that's free and you can still get it online and I write it every week religiously. So I do nonfiction, mostly humorous, but it's very like uplifting, kind of spiritual, but not like hokey corny. And anyway, so my point is just that I, uh, I try to like touch on all types of writing. So I write fiction, I write nonfiction and then my workshops, I, every Saturday I run a workshop here in Phoenix and uh, it's pretty popular and it's really fun and we just uh, we workshop each other's fiction and I kind of run it because I have like like I said that degree and it just kind of I used to teach writing in San Francisco and it's mm-hmm. so fun I mean honestly teaching is my favorite thing to do in life and I, I miss it so much because I quit when I moved to Phoenix um, mm-hmm. and uh, I love my new job and I love the freedom I have so I would never go back unfortunately back yeah. uh, because teaching is just long it's long and grueling and uh as everyone says, the pay is really not great, you know. So, you <laughs> so, so it's true. Yeah. So for <laughs> me, this workshop is is my way of like getting to be a, a part time teacher. So it's once a week. It's on Saturday. It's three hours. Um, mm-hmm. My wife wants her kid, and I run down and do it. And it's it's awesome. It's really fun. So sounds like a lot of fun. Um, hey, always pursue your dreams. I commend you for being truthful about being a teacher because you know teachers. I, I feel like sometimes they don't the expression of how tough the job is with the pay you know people have a, most people that teach have a passion for teaching and helping others right but that doesn't mean they're always getting you know compensated or you know appreciated as they should so that's good that you know you actually have a true 
you know, reflection of what the teacher process is, because a lot of people take teachers for granted, which I don't. You know, I was when I when I was raised, I had a really good relationship with teachers and, you know, and, and everything like that. So I actually respect the fact that, you know, deep down me, I like to help people, too. I like to be a teacher, too, but I won't, that probably wouldn't be my primary, you know, but, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I, you're, you're like me in so many different ways. Everything you say, I kind of resonate with, which is you know awesome and pretty cool as well. Well, so uh, about you, a little bit more about you, right? And, and just some of the other things that uh, you've done. Like I said, you really are a jack of all trades. Um, you said that you work with high-end restaurants? Uh, yeah. So, like, again, my life is just uh, – one of my approaches <laughs> to life is is say yes to opportunities and see what okay. happens. And, you know, okay. just kind of go with the flow. So I've always had, like, a creative bent. So, like I said, I, I used to make films and then I was a uh, – musician for a while and i became a writer but all the while you got to pay those bills you know like right um, <laughs> right uh, you know now i'm i'm 40 and i'm starting to like receive the fruits of my efforts but i'm 40 i started this stuff when i was 20 uh, hey. so yeah <laughs> long time uh, coming it's not yeah it's not a quick process for many of us it is quick for some people and you know it's it's uh, one of the best quotes i ever heard no matter what you're going into is it's um talent persistence and luck and i think mm-hmm. that you know you got to weigh all three so um, and anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I guess I would just, I would say that like having a job that keeps you relaxed is really important to the creative process. So mm. with that said, I'm a social person. And so restaurant work like naturally was like easy for me. So when I was 21, I graduated college, moved to a weird city with a couple friends to start a band. And uh, I get up like insanely early. I always have. I don't know why. Even if I drink, it doesn't matter what I do the night before. Oh, wow. I just I cannot sleep in since I was like eighteen. This happened to me, and I and I'm not. It's not fun. <laughs> so anyway, I got a job opening a coffee shop at five a.m. when I was oh, wow. twenty-one years old, and I I had to be there at five. The shop opened at five thirty. Um, I had that job for two straight years, and I got promoted to the other end of it, which was this high end restaurant. And I was managing, uh, I was assistant manager. I was not the manager of this mm-hmm. high end restaurant. It was like mind blowing. I know how to like do like really high end customer service. It changed like my entire perception of like dining. And when you go to a restaurant, I had the best manager ever. He was just so awesome. He was, um, he, he graduated from the famous Cornell hotel school, which is like considered one of the best. Um, I've heard of yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and so it was cool. I just got to learn all that. So anyway, and, and restaurant work was like really fun. It was hard. I did that before I became a teacher. Um, so I'm in my third career now and I loved all of them, but I, I, I man, I salute restaurant workers just like teachers. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I feel like, uh, you have a great attitude, first of all. So, uh, this is more so a personal question. We all know that everything is not like just this fairy tale story and, you know, things go, you know, to plan all the time. But even today at 40, right, you still have a really good attitude. So what would you say? How much did you? How much would you say that, you know, your attitude and mindset, you know, with being in different types of jobs and things like that? How much does that play into your experience? Because a lot of people think that, you know, everything is going to, you know, there's no failures. or There's no moments where, you you know, you may be having regrets or something like that. Just, you know, be a little transparent to how much you think your mindset, you know, helped you to be able to tackle any of those things that you, you know, went through? Um, that's a really good question. And it's, my answer is going to have like three versions to it because I have evolved a lot in my life. Um, okay. First of all, I was blessed with a, a just optimistic mind. I am just like, 
uh, no matter what's happening and no matter what's happening to anyone else, I'm always like, well, the next thing will be better or the next thing will, will show you why this was okay. And, uh, that was a lot easier when I was a kid and things were going well. And then, um, I'll never forget, um, as will most Americans will never forget, but I was, uh, 19 years old when 9-11 happened, September 11th, the attacks in America. And I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in college. And, uh, I knew just from like reading the news for years as a high school teenager that America, I love my country, I'm an American, but we don't always do the best things. I knew that like, you know, we mm -hmm. have like foreign policy and situations. Mm -hmm. And so when it happened, it was just like really depressing for me, the most depressing event that has ever happened, or at least at the time. And uh, my parents, meanwhile, when I was a kid, had trained me and taught me how to meditate. So we weren't like religious. We weren't like Catholic, Jewish, Christian. Um, I mean, technically I was Jewish, but my parents also, like... Also like spiritual. Yeah, spiritual. So okay. And so mm. they taught me how to meditate when I was a kid. And then like most teenagers, I was like, this is lame. I don't want to do what my parents do. So I stopped <laughs> meditating. So I called my mom like in tears, I mean, just bawling on 9-11. And I was like... You know, I'm scared. My brother lived in New York City. We couldn't, he, the cell phone tower went down. We couldn't reach him for 24 hours. Mm. He worked a block and a half from the Trade Center in like a restaurant. And so I didn't know if he had worked that morning. You know, so I was just like, like everyone else, I'm not trying to make 9 11 about me, but you know, it, it depressed the hell out of me. And I really thought that, much like people thought in COVID and all these other events, that the world was going to end. That was my, the world's going to end moment. You know, and, mm -hmm. and so my mom said, why don't you try meditating? And I did. And the rest of my life has never, ever, ever been the same. I meditate religiously every single day of my life. It is my Prozac. It is my whatever. I, you know, when something bad happens, I don't look to like the liquor store or the bong. I look to like meditating first, then maybe the liquor store or the bong. But I'm like <laughs> all about like, uh, like my priority system is get your mental shit together before you approach the day. So I wake up every single day of my life and I meditate before I go into the day. And I just, it doesn't matter. Like whatever I'm doing the night before, I just set an alarm for half an hour before the time I'm supposed to be up. And then I get up, wash my face, you know, go to the bathroom. And then I just sit down for 20 minutes with my eyes closed, sometimes 40, um, depends where I am. <laughs> and uh, so that, so that's, I know it's like a kind of cop-out answer, but honestly, no, I was no. blessed with an optimistic mind. And then in addition to that, I have a tool, meditation, and I recommend some form of meditation to every single human on earth, whether it's a walk, whether it's sitting still, it doesn't matter. Like, don't let people tell you, you have to stare at a candle. You, have to, you know, that's not true. It's just you dedicating some peaceful, quiet time to yourself every day. That's awesome. I actually, I don't think it's a cop out answer at all. That's actually, uh, <laughs> no, that's actually, I like to make normal conversations about, you know, mental stability, peace. These are things that, they're words that we use on a daily basis, but do we really practice those things to bring those things, you know, to us? I'm quite sure that, you know, your optimism came from, you know, having a peace of mind, being able to gather your thoughts and things like that. You know, your mind's not racing everywhere, be it good or bad. And that's a very healthy practice. So I'm all for meditation as well. Um, life can be stressful. And if you're always worrying about the next thing, you can't get a grip of yourself. You'll go crazy. Right. I mean, that's this. That's one of the reasons why I made this show, because, you know, I want to normalize talking to normal people, you know, uh, how they deal with things, because I feel like at times, not all the time, because I might get canceled or something that, you know, <laughs> but uh, we look to celebrities, uh, you know, experiences in life. As if those are the only experiences. So whatever their story is, right? That's the only. No, that's. A, I did this podcast. I said I want to talk to normal people. You know, like like myself, they went through their own struggles, so people can relate and hear. 
you know, about what helped you, you know, and you, you, you promote meditation. I think meditation is a great thing. I think a lot of people need to just slow down and gather themselves sometimes and quit, you know, combating everything and trying to take on the world. And, you know, sometimes it's an American mentality thing as well. You know, we just overwork ourselves and overwork ourselves. We never give a rest to just recalibrate and, you know, gather ourselves. So I, I, I'm all for it. Right. Um, I feel like that, you know, that per se, uh, optimism, how does, how does the optimism, you know, that, that you have, how, how is, how is it redefined, you know, what, what life means to you? It's a good question. Um, you know, I'll say this. I, I never talk politics on my own podcast and I try to avoid it, but <laughs> we have become such a political country that it's almost mm-hmm. impossible. Mm-hmm. And so I would say optimistically, I don't care which team is winning the election and I don't care who's coming into office. I'm always just thinking, well, if this person has a good heart and they follow it, what good could come. So I would kind of like apply that to like everything. So COVID was like, you know, somewhat terrifying at first, like especially that first like oh, early oh yeah. March, oh, April part. I don't care who you are and how bragging you are now. Like I mean, most <laughs> of us across the world were pretty terrified. Yes. You, you see it like 28 days later and you, your mind starts to wander and you're like, you know, is this, <laughs> um, so I think optimism is, I heard a quote once, um, without optimists, we wouldn't, um, try to go to the moon and without realists, we wouldn't get there. And I think that it's kind of cool. Like we need optimists. We need realists. We don't need pessimists. That's not part of that quote. Right. (laughs) Right. But but there is a thing called realism and I have to have it. Like I have to be told it, you know, I'll give a a light analogy. I love sports every year. My teams, all four are going to go to all four championships and win. You know, I'm just one of those idiots. Like, uh, like the rest, like all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I'd much rather go through life that way. But meanwhile, I don't think it's healthy to be surrounded by optimists and to only be optimists. You know, I think you mm-hmm. like, yeah, things would fall apart pretty fast. So, um, you know, we need people who do everything, you know, you, you told me you're in the military and I, um, I think that's like such an important part of our social structure and our society is this like weird thing where like, you do need a standing military and, you know, emphasis on the word standing, but sometimes that military needs to stand closer to a target and further. And like, so all these war games and all the stuff going on right now and, and perpetually, you know, I, I just, for my job, I was indexing a book on um, ancient Athens, you know, and like mm-hmm. they had a standing army. Like it's, this is not right. new. Like right. uh, optimists think no one will attack us and then you get attacked. So I'm True. bringing up the military because I think it's, <laughs> it's an important time when we're talking about defunding the police and the military and all these things to like really remember that like there are people who will do things that are destructive. And as an optimist, you have to be hopeful that there's not so many of them Uh (laughs) and then that other Uh good people are going to help us protect ourselves from that. So very true. And I'll to, you know, Ditto what you said. I've never, I don't know where that slogan defund the police came from. I don't know whose idea that was. Um, I personally grew up, uh, you know, back when I was younger in a, a neighborhood that, you know, had like a lot of, you know, break ins, violence and things like that. I don't know what we'd have, we have done without the police. Like they are, I like to say, like, like you said, someone is someone literally waiting for an opportunity, you know, for no police or no, you know, uh, yeah, I'm not going. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I just, no, no. yeah, exactly. I just, yeah, I, I just want to say, yeah, I'm, I'm I don't know where that. Yeah, I, I support, uh, you know, uh, the police, police in the correct way, of course. Um, but yeah, they're, exactly. but they're def, they're definitely needed. And, you know, security is needed because that's the case. Oh, we don't need security. We don't need anything, and we're all just law abiding good citizens. That's not how the world is. So unfortunately, we we need people to enforce, you know, those laws and things like that. 
So cool topic. Cool, cool, cool. You also, this is probably my favorite part about you. You said you're a traveler, right? You travel. Um, I travel a lot. And you said you've been to what, is it 30 countries? All the yeah, states? Like that. Yeah, so you see that. That's not like me. Like, I was like, yeah, something, <laughs> something like that. So we can talk a little bit about, about travel um, and a little bit about you and how you feel about travel. So just give, how did you get into traveling? Because a lot of people, you know, to, weird crazy fact a lot of people don't travel people a lot of people do travel but a lot of people don't travel so i'm all about promoting travel right so what spiked your interest or started your journey into hey i'm gonna just travel places yeah actually i was um as a kid i ate like saltine crackers and cheddar cheese and i didn't try new things and i hated Mm -hmm. traveling and i would complain every time my parents wanted to drive us like an hour somewhere and (laughs) i was just such a homebody and then at 13 my parents forced me this is like huge air quotes if you're listening huge air quotes my parents forced me to go to greece of all places they they bought us like i have a brother so they bought a family of four a trip to go to greece because they had a a friend that they'd met in the 60s when they were like hippies going through europe and she owned a house there and was like come visit you know blah 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 so like i mean how spoiled can you be i was like i don't want to go my friend has a birthday party it's the summer my birthday's in the summer you know i was like so mad at my parents so they they find me to greece and i do everything i can like arms folded to just have like a horrible time and by day three i was just having the time of my life like we were seeing new things like just seeing new things seeing new cultures seeing that like nothing has to be the way you think it has to be nothing is the way you think it is and, and earth is just full of i like to say earthlings like instead of humans like we're just there's so many different types of people do, living differently. So that was my first travel experience. 13, Greece, loved it. Um, obviously, you know, I was a, a student in school, so I didn't get to travel a lot. So then what that changed was instead of going to a local school, I was like, nah, screw this. I'm going to college like somewhere far away. So I applied to like nothing but schools far away, like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Boston, and New York. And I got into uh, two of them, but I, I really wanted to go to Pittsburgh because it just sounded like cool. And so I, I went to Pittsburgh, loved that. And then I started traveling and I really wanted to go to every state. I just wanted to see like, I was like, before I start talking about the world, I should really like know my whole country. And I suggest to everyone that you obviously time, money, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but I will say this, at least back when I was doing it, like gas isn't that expensive here. Even right now during this like huge gas surge, um, you can pretty affordably go see America. It's really not that hard. Like, and you can cut up and down like the I-95s and the, you know, West and East on the 10, the 40, you can do like so many cool trips. But uh, yeah, so I went to every state, obviously Alaska and Hawaii are harder because you do have to fly to the, well, you could drive to Alaska, but that would take like three days. I think. <laughs> yeah, um, it'll take a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those maps are not realistic people. They, they're spread out and <laughs> things look closer. Um, Cause the flight to Alaska was really long. I was totally surprised. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so I did that. And then the, the country stuff that was, um, the first trip was when I graduated uh, college. I went to Europe for um, like seven weeks and I tried to go to every country on like the Euro pass, like the pretty typical experience. And that was really fun. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as I got older, I just started like traveling more and more. And um, I recently went to Ecuador. That was really exciting. Oh, nice. um, I'm in i I'm remarried very, very, very happily. So, and my first wife though was, um, it's a very long story, but she's a U.S. citizen, but was raised in Thailand. And, uh, so I lived in Thailand on and off with her a little bit, um, in my, in my thirties. And, and so that was like incredible because it traveling when you're like with someone from the country is such a different experience. So that, that Mm -hmm. still stands out. So you've been to so many places. I'm a foodie. So I'm not, I sound like a fatty right now. What, 
which places have the most memorable foods that you went to? Because I know you, you got to eat when you go somewhere, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's probably the only question worth asking to anyone about traveling. <laughs> I mean, Thailand is unreal. It is like some of the best food. Um, Japan surprised me the most because it actually had really good food, but it wasn't the food I expected. It wasn't like mm. sushi or anything we like really eat here. Mm. It was just weird, weird stuff they have that like I'd never even heard of. So that was pretty exciting. It wasn't my favorite, just in case someone like goes there or like, but it was just so different. Like, so I think mm. Japan makes food very differently than we do, and that was exciting. And then uh, the best Indian food I've ever had in my life, I got in Scotland of all places because they have such a huge um, uh, immigration system with uh, Pakistan and India. So they have like really authentic, like first generation or even third generation people who are cooking. <laughs> And uh, for some reason, you can move those spices and you don't lose the quality. So it like it doesn't have to be made in maybe where it normally is. So uh, so that was really good. And then I would just say, um, well, the saddest thing for me is when I went to Italy, I was really young and I was not super like uh, my budget wasn't big. So I really like didn't try a lot of good Italian food. So that's, oh. that's my saddest travel food story. But yeah, I would say Thailand is just epically amazing for food. And then I would say Japan is like really interesting. And then the most surprising, like I said, was Scotland had this just incredible Indian food. I was there for like a week and I had it every night. <laughs> oh, that's wild. I never would yeah. equate Indian food with Scotland, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I ask all these questions. You know, some people live through these conversations that we have, and some people may get encur- me be encouraged to travel. You know, with these conversations where we have about traveling because I'm a traveler as well, and I like to I like to travel. I haven't been as many places as you. Maybe I catch up one day, but you know, it's good. Well, what's your favorite food though? I'd love to know yours. Hmm. <laughs> I am in Italy right now, so wow. <laughs> I, when you said that, I was like, oh, man, uh, the Italian cuisine is pretty good, and the pizza here is so different um, just because of the fact and I love my greasy, fat American pizza, right? <laughs> but you feel a little guilty when you eat pizza in America. Like, I think everything here, because it's so hand-tossed, it's so fresh, and it's like semi-thin crust. You know, it's not like a lot of carbs and things like that. Uh, it's really a difference maker. Like I'm never wow. like a pizza, super pizza guy. You know, I'm old. I'm over thirty now, so I'm not like no oh, pizza, pizza. But it's really good here. The pizza, gelato, and pasta are like next level. It's really hard for me when I go back to the states, and people think, "Oh, you're living in Italy now." And I'm like, "No, it's not like that. It just literally does not taste the same." Like. I never look at uh, Olive Garden the same again. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. I mean, it, it's, that's what that's what traveling, traveling, traveling is. You know, when you go to those authentic places, and, you know, I love that. You know, in America we replicate everything, but sometimes it doesn't. It's not like the you know the hometown's food, right? So, I do like the the pasta and the gelato and the and the wine too. Here, all those things are pretty yeah. pretty cool for the experience. So, yeah. Um, so when when you were traveling, right? Uh, did you conquer any fears when you traveled that you that maybe that you were something you were nervous about or did something that you know you never thought you'd do? You know, when when you traveled. Yeah, yeah, I've had a lot of those, a lot actually. Um, one time, I when I flew to Ecuador recently in 2017, um, mm-hmm. I had no cell phone and I had no way of like communicating, and I got Ooh. stuck in an airport because they sold our flight, and everyone's screaming 
and like yelling in Spanish. And at the time, I wasn't fluent enough to get it. I'm now much more fluent. And it was mm. terrifying because I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, I don't even understand what's happening here. And then these people are like trying to explain it to me in Spanish. It didn't make sense. So the fear of like not speaking the language and being like stranded. And I had no like money. I had like a credit card and like, you know, I had already booked everything where I was landing and everything was paid for. And I had like made this and I brought no food with me because it was supposed to be like these quick series of flights and I just wanted a backpack you know and like so I was like terrified because I thought I was gonna have to spend like multiple nights there and I didn't know if my credit card was gonna like uh this like weird small like town in in Ecuador because it wasn't at the like final and then uh so that was cool and then much much earlier before that when I was in Germany we couldn't find a single hotel because it was the Oktoberfest which doesn't happen in October, just in case. <laughs> so we're there in July, and they're like, it's Oktoberfest. And I was like, excuse me? Um, it was like a huge festival. They might have a second Oktoberfest or a real one in October, but the way it was explained to me. So I had to sleep in a train station for four nights, and I got woken up every single morning by a German uh, police officer with um, a Doberman pincher and him like telling me to get up and leave. And uh, look, I'm going to stereotype. I was raised Jewish in America. Not exactly. A dog like yelling at you. Um, so that was cool. And I think the other big fear um, for me, this is a weird one, but flying like over the ocean for like that long was really scary the first time I did it like going mm. to Thailand it was just like so scary to me to leave San Francisco and be on a plane for like 12 hours until we landed in Taiwan I think it was um, and so I know that, that to some people that might not sound like a big deal but I was just like we could get lost at sea and then that one plane went missing a few years ago and it, it was just like <laughs> No, I, I exactly agree. What I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I know. So I, I've I've had that fear as well. You, you get used to it after a while, and I don't think it ever changes the fact that you're going underwater that long. You just kind of accept it, and you know you've done it successfully one time, so you say, I can do it again. You know, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt the same way you know, with the long overseas flights and things like that. So that's cool, man. I really I really appreciate you being able to recollect some good you know uh, moments from your travel and things like that. So last thing about travel. Uh, to any anybody listening out there, give give one travel tip that you feel that you've learned, or something that you tell every traveler, new or old. One just one tip, one travel. Oh, tip. this is so easy. This is my tip for even just in America. Whenever mm-hmm. you go to a new restaurant, ask the person working there, could you please bring me your favorite dish? Mm. Don't even ask what it is. I mean, if you have restrictions, this is not going to work for you. But um, <laughs> right. You know, or like, you know, if, if you do like, let's say like, I don't eat uh, a certain kind of meat, maybe like just, you know, say like, what's your favorite dish that doesn't have beef, you know, or something you can like, mm-hmm. but anyway, just trust the server, trust the person working there. Like they, I, I'm, this is so arrogant and mean to say, but they know better than you. They do. Like they, right. uh, they work there. They know the cook, they know who makes everything. And here's the best part. Normally they're not going to bring you something on the menu. They're going to bring you their favorite thing, which is like their version. So Mm. And, and you're on vacation so like bring a little extra money like don't travel cheap it, it sucks i hate saying that but it's true like you know yeah, hinders, your, hinders your experience yeah it hinders your experience yeah. when you're kind of limited like that yeah, so i get it yeah so that's cool hey that's how they take a little faith for some of you all out there but that's what <laughs> add, that's what adds the fun to travel i like the tip i i'm, I'm actually all for it and some people may not do it and some people may but i think that's that adds to the experience because you probably thought about a moment when you asked for their favorite meal and you're like oh shoot this is really good or yeah. You may have never tried it if you didn't, you know, ask the server or anything like that. So 
Cool, cool. Thank you for all of the travel tips that you had there. So our final uh, topic, you're also a podcaster, right? You also do a podcast, which is cool. And your podcast is Coffin Talk, right? Mm-hmm. So can you give us, can we talk a little bit about Coffin Talk? What, what your conversations are about and why did you start doing a podcast called Coffin Talk? Yeah, sure. Um, so like I said, I was previously married and I got divorced. And when I was getting divorced, I, you know, same thing, like the approach to meditation and stuff. Like I didn't want to just become like this, like, oh, I'm going to start like pretending I'm young and going out to bars again. Like that's not, you know, <laughs> that wasn't going to work for me. So right. um, I looked for something to suck up some of my time and I decided to volunteer. And when I was a kid, my grandmother died um, and she had complications from Alzheimer's. So she had like mental dementia and it was very like confusing and sad for me as a kid because I was about nine ten when she was dying and uh so I decided to volunteer at a hospice ward for people with dementia which is pretty specific um so I worked in this hospice and uh one of the more successful essays I wrote that was like published was about working in hospice and about how like people dying don't think about the things I would have thought they would think about. And all they really obsess over is like wishing they had not been mean to people, wishing they were nicer to people, like things like that. So I started thinking about that a lot and I started realizing that no one really likes to talk about death or think about death in this culture. And it's probably why mental illness is so highly on the rise because Mm -hmm. when a thing like COVID hits you from the right and on the left, you're like told don't talk about death. Don't think about death. That's kind of a mixed messaging system. Um, I think people need to think about death. You're, you're all of you listening. You're going to die. You're absolutely going to die. And so am I. And so is every person on earth, even with life changing technology, I don't think they're ever going to make it. So we don't die. And my point is you should probably have some working system of what you expect, or at least what you think, because that's going to affect the way you live. So the slow, the slog line, the slogan for our podcast is, um, interviews with the living, um, how the way you how your thoughts on death affect the way you live your life um and so it's called pop and talk and so i interview anyone i mean it does not matter i have no real basis and i just say at some point in the interview what do you think happens when you die and you know i've heard everything from like i i'm energy i just dissipate uh nothing there's nothing after you die to oh we're all like from an extra dimensional beings you know i mean i've just heard like i've had 70 something guests on and uh so the point of the podcast is to raise awareness of that and to help people out, but it's turned into like such a, a blessing for me because I just meet like these incredible people week after week after week who are so different from me, and yet they all are just like you, just like you, in that they just want people to like be nice to each other and to like understand each other, and they just want to cultivate like a happier, peaceful earth. So it's helping me see that it's total BS that everyone hates each other and no one's getting along. I think that that weird message during like both Trump and post Trump that like we all hate each other. It's BS, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but like I got plenty of friends from different genders mm-hmm. and races and everything. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I just think it's BS. And I think my, that's my main goal of the podcast is to show that like you're, you're probably a lot more united in your thoughts on like peace and love and death than you think you are. And that's way more important than this. A lot of the stuff we're talking about right now. That is, man, that's an awesome synopsis. Of, and I really, you wouldn't get that out of just, you know, reading Coffin Talk. You wouldn't know all the, the meaning, you know, the meaning behind all of it. And yeah. I like uh, I like the awareness that you're bringing. I like the topic that you're covering. I like the energy that you're bringing it from. 
to go up because a lot of people with me, this is so like me looking in the mirror. That's kind of sort of a little bit because with my podcast, right? It's like flavoring here. They're like, oh, is that a cooking podcast or, you know, something like that? But, <laughs> but no, it's not. You know, it, it just that represented, you know, me being diverse in my audience and saying I can have a conversation about anybody, you know, with anybody, you know, about anything, you know, being versatile in different topics and travel, finance, life. You know all those different things that I think are important, right? So that's the meaning of mine, and that's cool. You know, I think death is something that a lot of people. I have a transparent moment here, right? A lot of people that I know, family-wise, right? They're getting older, and they just kind of like it's like a, a word they don't want to. They don't want to talk about it, right? And in, in the in the African American community as well, you know, sometimes I see a lot of people you know, go fund me's when somebody tragically dies, something like that, because they keep it so taboo that no one wants to prepare yeah. for it right and that's not a good thing because us here to still live in have to still you know deal with and accommodate you know whatever you left behind so i love the fact that you you know bring it up and it's not to be sad or it's not to be you know down and blue but understanding is something that you know it's it, i think it helps everybody grow to, I, hey mike i feel like you really you've really grown in on so many areas, you know, with what you're, what, what you're presenting to the world. And I feel like I'm, I'm very glad I, that I had you today as a guest because I feel like it, it's, it's, it's what I do this for. Like, this is going to keep me going. You know, I would have never met you had I yeah. never been a podcaster. Right. So like, I, I really, I really like, you know, the message and what you bring, the energy you bring, the optimism that you bring. It's probably going to help me. You know, I listen to these episodes when I'm editing, you know, over and over again. So I'm hearing these words going to be replanting in my head. And I'm like, oh, man, this is some good content, you know. So thank you so much for, uh, first off, making time available and joining. You, this is a very, this is all unscripted conversation, you all. This is natural conversation. Um, I love the content. I, I'm sometimes I turn to like a listener myself when I'm when I have these amazing guests. So I try to facilitate the conversation, but I'm like, oh man, this is really cool. Uh, so hey, if you if you did uh, listen hear this episode and you need to you know cover any type of topics or anything like that, or you'd like to hear more of Mike, I'm going to give Mike a opportunity to a lot of listeners to uh, to tell listeners where they can find more of you, social media handles, anything like that. What you have coming soon? I know you did say you had a book coming in May. Um, but anything like this, so this is your time to, you know, get, get your, your, your plug out. There, <laughs> I do Mike, appreciate you know. it. And to make things simple, I just have one website. You go there. Everything else is there. So if you want to find my podcast, my books, my weekly essays, um, my music, uh, my weird YouTube shows that I made, they're all at MikeyOp.com. <laughs> and I'll spell it M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. So my name is Mike Oppenheim and the website is MikeyOp.com. And, uh, yeah, I think my favorite thing I do is my weekly essay. So um, if you want to like hit the contact subscribe button, that's awesome. Also, uh, like, like we were talking about, I'm a normal person, you know? And so I, I definitely will respond to you. If you write me, if you take time to send me a message, I a hundred percent will get back to you. It might not be like that day, but I'm very good at that. And that is my life goal is to always have time for people and to always help people. So, um, and thank you again. This was so much fun. I, everything you said, hundred percent. I agree. I would never get to meet you. This is the best coolest part of this 2000 whatever technology boom it's so cool <laughs> you're in italy that's crazy <laughs> right that. right like right yeah friends. it's so cool thank you oh uh, yeah yeah it's, this this is this this is why i keep doing it you know with my my, my busy yeah. military life and things like that i have really i already have a passion for doing this and it's good to know it's good people out there you know it's good to know because a lot of 
bad people get a lot of publicity, right? Yeah. All the time, you know. Just me, me and you don't get that publicity sometimes. So I said that'll be my that'll be my calling to get you know us, you know, the unsung heroes out there who are actually contributing to society in a good way, you know, because you know we don't get enough light. So thanks so much. Hey, also we will have uh, all information for Mike in the show notes uh, when, when this episode is released. Uh, so you're welcome to check out his website. I would say go check out his podcast, Coffee Talks, as well. As you all can see, that it's a very um, important topic that I feel like and with, with so many podcasts out there it's a good opportunity for to get podcasters on the platform and kind of explain about their podcast because you're going to be just scrolling and you wouldn't have gotten the message of what his podcast is about just through the name just like mine right so um, that's another reason why I do this and I feel like uh, hey I, I got a new friend here and I'm going to support him I uh, wish him very well and everything like that uh, moving forward all my writers out there he's a writer so just for those who are just joining he's a writer he's traveled and he has a podcast those are just three of his like tree and things that he's done so <laughs> uh if you want information or any insight on any of those things you can look him up reach out to him as he said he'll always reply and uh we will catch you all in the next one peace out everyone have a good morning afternoon or evening wherever you are in the world take it easy you're out of here Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Please leave an honest review, subscribe, and share. Listen to us on all platforms. Follow us and ask questions on Twitter at Marquis Podcast Mailbag. Follow us on IG at Flavor In Your Ear Podcast. And like our Facebook page, Flavor In Your Ear Podcast. For exclusive content, info, special offers, and free entry into our monthly giveaways, send your email address to flavorinyourear247 at gmail.com to join our email list. If you're anxious, we have a snippet following our next episode's topic. Peace and love.